You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode of Locked On Phoenix Suns is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. Reliving the 2020-21 Phoenix Suns season here on today's episode of Locked On Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I am your host, Brendan Clean. I cover the Suns and the NBA at SB Nation as well as Dime Magazine. And you can follow me on Twitter at BrendanClean14. But most importantly, you can follow our show on Twitter at LockedOnPHXSuns, where you can tell me what your top five moments of the season are for these Phoenix Suns. That is the topic of our show today. Gina Mizell of Suns.com, as well as formerly The Athletic and The Valley Tales newsletter, joins our show today to do just that. Breakdown, discuss, relive, re-examine, celebrate, all of those things. The top five moments of the Suns season. We dip back into last offseason. We talk about different games throughout the year. We talk about uh, extra external and sort of bigger picture moments. Uh, we really run the gamut of the entire thing, so I don't want to belabor things any further. It was a great, great, great episode. Honestly, we both, I think, reminded one another of different things along the way. Gina is always great. She has such an eye for these small little um, memories and, and, and little tiny details of these moments. So I think you will enjoy reliving that as well right along with us. With all of that said, here is Gina Mizell and I going through our top five moments of the Suns season. Joined now by Gina Mizell of Suns.com. And this is an episode I've been wanting to do. It's like, you know, between the regular season and the playoffs, Gina, it's like, when do you start talking about the playoffs and stop talking about what just happened? But I did want to marinate a little bit in the fun memories from this regular season, at least for a little longer, because it was a hell of a season and it was a very unexpected one. And it was so fast. It was so condensed that I don't want to let too much of this slip away. So at least for one more episode here, we're going to go through from five to one, our best memories of the season. But I'm just curious when we've had a little, a couple days, I guess, uh, you know, ending the game yesterday and into today and, and everything else, just, you know, being around the folks in that organization. Uh, what are, what, what's the vibe like? How, how excited is everybody? And I'm sure that, um, you guys are kind of having that same thing where it's like, we don't want to say goodbye to what just happened. Cause it was very special. Right, right. Yeah, no, it's obviously been very exciting, uh, very busy, um, but in a good way, uh, because also, and you know this as well as anybody, that the Mercury have their home opener on Friday. So there's a very real chance that the Mercury could open the season on Friday. And then the very next day, the Suns have game one of the playoffs for the first time in 11 years. So yes, it's very busy down at the arena, but it's all good stuff. So it was, like you said, a hell of a season, a ton of fun. There's that little part of me that wishes we all could have experienced it even more fully, but because of all this COVID nonsense and, and keeping safe, which is obviously the right thing to do, we've missed out a little bit, but I don't think that should take away from just the complete revitalization of this franchise and the fact that they became 
one of the best feel-good stories in the NBA. And not just like a cute feel-good story, like a legitimate championship contender, like just became this team that was, you know, one of the top two in the league when you look at the record. So cannot wait for the playoffs and just looking really forward to this weekend. Yeah, as uh, as Robert Sarver joked on the radio today, kind of uh, making fun of himself a little bit, finally got all the pieces right this time, right? Like the stars aligned in a very special way. So we're going to relive some of those memories on today's show, going again five to one from our, our, our best, our most uh, cherished memories of the season. So I will let you start off. You are the guest, Sheena. What is your number five? Okay, so the number five might surprise you a little bit, but it's more not so the moment, but what happened after it. Do you remember after a loss to Oklahoma City in January when Monty came on to his post-game interview and was probably the most terse I've ever seen him? But the only thing that rivals it is there was a game last season where they lost to Memphis and he came in and he made this, you know, he made an opening statement essentially and then just left without taking questions. But, you know, every question, again, after this loss to Oklahoma City, he said, we need to be more consistent, consistency, consistency. That was the word he just kept repeating. And that was when the Suns were eight and eight. They had lost three games in a row. And then after that, they've been, you know, arguably the best team in the NBA. So I don't know what he said privately to guys behind the scenes. I don't know how they received that message, but that was the only three game losing streak for this team the entire season. And that really is what kicked things into gear. So that's maybe an unconventional choice for my number five, but I think it deserves a mention. No, I love that. I like when people take the best memories thing in a different direction than just this game and that game and this game. Uh, So I definitely appreciate it. That is one that I did not think of was just sort of that moment in time where, you know, we didn't know what would happen, right? We felt, I think there was some lingering, uh, uncertainty about, you know, it, it felt somewhat similar to last year, right? There were a lot of moments last year that felt very good. And then there were very many letdown moments with the 2019, 20 team where it would be like that thunder game of like, okay, they're not there yet. And I think after that one, it was an open question of, you know, will they be a, a top level West and, and, you know, ultimately in the NBA type of team, or, or is it more of the same sort of learning curve as we saw last year? And obviously they, very much turned it around. And so, yeah, I think that's a good one. And uh, Monty sort of punctuating it with his very direct and purposeful commentary there was, was good as well. I, I had completely forgotten about that. Yeah. And it was just, like you said, at that point, the offense was sputtering. People were already questioning if Book and Chris Paul could play together, which again, seems absolutely ridiculous at this point. But no, that was just kind of a poignant moment that I feel like propelled them to where we are now. So sometimes you have to look back at those tough moments or those, you know, not so great moments and then be like, oh, that's actually what what turned the season around. The other side of hard, right? Exactly. Um, that was the hard, right? But uh, mine is my number five is the it's simple. It's it's nothing uh, too out of the ordinary, but the sun's having two all stars uh, back in February and getting to, uh, you know, it was, a, I think that was actually the last time you were on the show. It was a little bit of an indirect path to doing that, but that was the case, which had been many, many years since the Suns could claim that. So that was definitely special having the game actually happen, despite, you know, whether you, you know, feel like it should have, or whether the players wanted it to, it was cool to have two guys there and representing the Suns. 
Yeah, and like you said, it was a very indirect way of getting there, but it, it almost, it, it drew more attention to Devin Booker because you had, you know, LeBron James tweeting that he's the most disrespected player in the league. And you had Chris Paul coming on the Zoom the next day saying that, okay, Book is the reason why I wanted to come to Phoenix. Like we know he's our best player and sort of lobbying for him. So I, I know pe other people have made this comparison, but I feel like Devin Booker is a lot like Damian Lillard was a couple years ago, or maybe like four or five years ago at this point where he was like on the cusp of being an all-star and like had to kind of sneak in as an injury replacement or as the last guy in. And then now he's just, it's a given that he's going to be an all-star every single year, unless he's hurt or something like that. So yeah, I think that was obviously a really big deal. It, it sort of is another um, tent pole in this season where, you know, we've made so many comparisons between this team and the last time this team went to the playoffs. And it's no coincidence that the last time that this team went to the playoffs was also the last time they had more than one all-star. So yep. that's uh, that kind of all it's, it's symmetry in that way. So no, I, I like that as a, as a moment for sure. Yeah. It's a little bit of an aside, but it's funny to me. It just makes you realize too, whether it's the Suns as a team doing what they did or the recognition that Booker's been able to get the past two seasons. I remember for a while, you know, even as a, as a team, there was just this idea of like, oh, the Rockets and the Warriors are too good. And, you know, you should prolong the rebuild and it's not even worth trying to compete right now because things are um, so out of whack and, it, it, there's a dynasty happening, whatever. And, you know, Booker, it's, it's such a difficult road. And then you turn around and, and KD's out of the West and Clay Thompson is, you know, unfortunately had his injury issues. James Harden is out of the West. And, and now look, there's an opening for not only one, but two sons to make that team. So I guess uh, a reminder that things in sports are very much impermanent. And uh, that's, that's a good note to, to transition on. We'll get to a quick break here. And then we'll come back with uh, hopefully numbers four and three, maybe two as well of our best moments of the sun season back right after this. If you're anything like me, you are already thinking about what to do this summer. Finally take advantage of the ability to do that again. It's been quite a while and two things are on my mind when I think about traveling. It's uh, can my car make it to where I want to go if it's somewhere I'm going to drive and do I have the money to do that? Rock Auto kills both of those birds with one stone. Uh, Rock Auto saves you the money so you can have it to spend on things you care much more about than your car. And also, Rock Auto makes it easier to make that car go. It's, it's both of those things at one time. Rock Auto is a family business. They've been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. You just type in the make and model of your car. Very simple. Just that year, the company and it takes you to the page for your vehicle, gives you everything that they have for that vehicle. One click away, you scroll through, you find the parts you need, you click, you buy, and it's at your doorstep, reasonably priced, very quick, high quality, right there within days. I recently purchased, as I've told you guys, the visor for my front driver's side, but they have all, time, all types of stuff, tail lamps, motor oil, new carpet, brakes, whether it's your classic or daily driver, you can get everything you need from Rock Auto in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. Best of all, prices are reliably low. The same for pros as they are for do-it-yourselfers, so why spend twice as much for the same exact thing? Save the money. Use it for things much more, much more 
uh, exciting than car maintenance, especially overpaying for car maintenance and get ready for summer travel. Get ready for using that car again. It's been a long time for some of us. So check rockauto.com out right now, guys. See all the parts available for your car or truck and write locked on when you make your purchase in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. Okay, Gina, take the floor for your number four best moment of the 2020-21 sun season. Okay, so I took the, the term moment a little bit loosely, but I want to go back to the long Eastern Conference road trip, that five-gamer um, about a month ago, not even like three weeks ago, all these days and weeks blend together. <laughs> but that trip was bookended by that crazy overtime win in Milwaukee and then that win at Madison Square Garden where they fell behind by double digits in the first half, like clawed their way back. And then Chris Paul just decided to act like Chris Paul and just absolutely stabbed the, the Knicks in the heart. And so getting through that trip, I mean, they went three and two. And so you could look at that and say, oh, that's okay. But getting through that five game trip with the teams that they were playing and having like two sort of dramatic wins on the bookends of that. I think is worth noting just because that had to be one of the tougher, I haven't looked at every team's schedule, but that had to be one of the tougher road trips that any team had to face, even in this weird condensed challenging season. Oh, and yeah. so I kind of surviving that trip and also capturing a couple big wins. And then of course they also beat the a shorthanded Philadelphia team on that crazy, almost Joel Embiid, like three quarter shot <laughs> thing. So I have to admit, it was it was was a pretty eventful, but I'll, I'll point out those two wins. Yeah, I was gonna say I I have to admit I don't even know if I talked about it on the show recapping that game or what, but I turned off the TV before that. I was oh, trying. I was like, okay, the game's <laughs> over. Let me close everything up and you know get upstairs to to talk to Monty. You know, I, my TV's not in the same room as my computer. Blah blah blah. And I I. I missed it. And then I saw, I like opened Twitter while I was waiting for the post-game stuff. And I was like, wait, what happened? And then, you know, it's the videos on, on online and everything of, of Embiid's shot, but that is definitely a great one. I had that on my list. It was a cut uh, toward the end that I, um, that I had to make because I feel I, I have a couple other ones that are game moments that I thought uh, were at least a little bit more memorable to me, but I, I I've been saying since that, trip Gina like that to me showed showed me everything I needed to know about this team it didn't make me say you know they're the championship favorites or they're going to breeze through the playoffs but at least I was like I don't have really any more questions they've competed at the highest level they did this on the road they did it against you know teams that they don't game plan for very often they they executed in all these different ways throughout that road trip like after that I came away like who knows what the standings will be like? Who knows who they match up with? But I don't really need to see anything else. This was it. Yeah, no, I think it just, when the schedule or the second half of the schedule came out, I just remember looking at that stretch and going, geez, like, holy cow, this is really challenging. And, and yeah, the fact that they came out of that with a winning record and, you know, you can, again, you can say some of those teams were shorthanded or whatnot, but just the way they grinded out some of those wins, I thought was was very telling. And I think when we, you know, look at how this team plays in the playoffs, I think we'll we'll kind of go back to those experiences and say, oh, that's sort of where they gained some mental toughness or yeah. just the resilience to sort of grind through what's now going to be a very challenging road to try to win the title. For sure. My number four is 
I don't know how you interpreted it. I, we didn't actually talk about this, but I included basically last off season as well. So anything that happened after the bubble. Okay. So I have two that are off season related. I guess I could have told you that, but (laughs) here we are. Um, so it's, it's a combination of things. One actually did happen in the season, so it's not too much of a stretch, but it was Frank coming back. Mm-hmm. And, and then as I was thinking about it, I, I had to throw in too just the re-signing slash not cutting of Payne, Carter, and, and Dario. Because I think that what that signified about the, we, you know, we were talking about it at the, at the beginning, the, the kind of overall rejuvenation of the franchise. I think you can't talk about the process of doing that without the success stories of especially those four players. The fact that those guys who were cast off of their team in multiple different situations, I mean, Javon Carter isn't a first round pick. Memphis doesn't want anything to do with them. Campaigns out of the league. Dario Sharge, this is his third team. Frank gets cut by a team in training camp after not being able to even find a guaranteed contract anywhere. So for those four guys to come back here, play rotation minutes with this team and actually contribute toward winning here. I think that's, you know, in some ways says uh, something really, really meaningful about the way that this team has changed for the better and the success that they were able to have, you know, that's a short list of teams in the NBA that can absorb guys who don't work elsewhere and not only make it work with them, but actually have them be positive factors on the team. It's not not too many teams in the NBA that can say that. So it's not one moment for any of those players, but just the fact of them being back here and, and them all coming back the way that they did felt really integral to telling the story of this season to me. Yeah, no doubt. Because again, when you talk about a team construction and chemistry and like all the intangibles that play into having a successful season or not you need guys like that and yeah like you said at some point in this season all of those guys have been in the rotation all of those guys have made a difference at some point and this sounds really cheesy but like all of them want to be here I mean I I did a, a story on Frank Kaminsky right when he came back and he told me that when Sacramento cut him that the one word he texted to his agent was Phoenix like that he wanted to come back after the Suns declined his team option or because he he loved it here so much and wanted to be here and he knew he wasn't going to play a ton but here he is now you know he's he's getting the you know some minutes with with DeAndre Ayton you know on the shelf right now and there was a point in the season where he was starting games and and just all of that and it just shows that during the course of in this case the 72 game schedule you're going to need guys like that at some point and, yeah. and the difference between you know, good teams and maybe teetering teams is, is that depth. And when you need someone to step in for whether it's one game, whether it's for a week while someone has a sprained ankle, whether it's for 10 days while someone's in health and safety protocols. And in this case, like you, you need those guys to be able to step up, stay ready. It's a cliche, but that's, you know, that can be the big difference between being a, a, you know, a good team or an okay team and being a very good team or potentially a great team. So no, I think that's a, that's a great nod to those guys and, and definitely worthy of, of being on a list. There's something very human, I think, about sort of finding uh, finding value, finding an optimistic outlook on a humbling experience, right? All those guys, well, Payne is a pretty integral part of the team, so he's a little bit of an yeah. outlier here. And Dario has been at points, even if it's not quite there right now. But, you know, accepting that you aren't 
an integral part of the team. And like you said, still sort of wanting to and believing that this is a good situation for you. It's something that I think we wander into about great teams every season and almost like feign surprise about it. Like, oh, the sacrifice it took. And we kind of retell the same stories every year. But uh, I do think sometimes it's just staring you in the face. I think with this team, there's just so many of those guys. But I'll go on to number three, which is the Devin Booker game winner against the Dallas Mavericks. Very close to the moment that you talked about with that Thunder game. I, I think you could almost look at those as as partner games because to me, I think that game was was Booker coming back after the injury and um, kind of answering the questions that you laid out that we maybe had about the team at that time. Not with just the one shot, but we know we we build these things up, so it sort of did feel that way, right? Like. They won a game that maybe they shouldn't have won. And uh, they did it with, like you said, Booker and Paul, these guys who we thought might not fit somehow. And it was those two connecting for the game winning shot there. So uh, that one I think is, is probably the, the single moment in one game that stands out most from the entire season for me. Uh, The aftermath of it with, with CP three telling us it was a JJ Redick play and getting it broken down. It was, it was just an awesome, awesome night. Yeah, for sure. No, that's that's on my list. It was like one of my last cuts. So I'm glad you're including it because I definitely think it's worthy. And yeah, that's what I was going to mention is I, I loved the element too of that, it, it, you know, Chris, it was a play that he had run. And so that also sort of sort of shows the synergy between him and Monty Williams as well, as far as being able to sort of partner with each other and collaborate and come up with a play like that. And, and yeah, like you said, that was after the OKC, you know, very pointed post-game comments, but it was still when we were kind of like, okay, what is this team actually going to be? And, and yeah, book hit a game winner. And, and that's, you know, he, his, his legend kind of continues to grow in that regard, as far as his game winning shots or crunch time shots. And that was certainly um, one worth highlighting this season. Absolutely. All right. What is your number three here? So my number three here is also has to do with Devin Booker, um, but it's actually the win in LA over the Lakers when Booker was ejected. (laughs) So just the, because, you know, that game was on national TV, the way that that unfolded. Yes. I know the Lakers, you know, weren't at full, full strength at that point, but just again, the way they were able to kind of gut out that win, um, I remember this play in the game where like a ball was flying out of bounds and Mikhail Bridges went to go get it and like got it to, to um, Jake Crowder for a layup in like a really key moment. And again, it was kind of just captured what this team is as far as, you know, working together and hustling and playing hard and playing together and kind of overcoming some adversity. So, I mean, again, they, they, the sun swept the Lakers this year. Uh, it's, it's, you know, or excuse me, one, two out of three against the Lakers this year. Um, you know, it, and it's not quite the same when it's when you know, the, the team was so shorthanded this year, yeah. for, but, but still, I felt like that was a big moment as far as just, um, you know, being able to win without Booker and kind of, you know, Dario Saric had a great game in that one. And I just, I feel like that was, a, it was a good national performance for the Suns when they were still kind of coming on as, as a team to watch. Yeah, I definitely am glad you shouted out Dario. That's one of my big memories from that game. It was one of his better performances of the season. He closed that game over DA, uh, just really earned that playing time. And I think you're right that that to me feels like one of the moments in the year where 
the national NBA conversation really started to recognize the Suns. Um, I just, yeah, because it was a nationally televised game and it was the Lakers and the nature of, of kind of how rough and physical that, you know, that became the identity of this Suns team. But I feel like people started to take note of it at that time. And yeah, it was obviously a big win and, and all the rest book getting ejected made it sort of a, a little more explosive, so to speak. So definitely a good one. I had, compl- I, I didn't forget about it, but I, I guess I was, um, I was thinking more of the negative of book getting ejected. So I was like, ah, maybe we shouldn't talk about that, but you're right. It was a win. So of course it's still a positive moment. Um, let's go to number two here. Uh, and then maybe we'll get into some Monty Williams coach of the year talk, depending on how much we have to say about moments two and one. You haven't said any of my two or one. I don't know if I have for you. We'll find that out right after a quick break. Today's show is also brought to you by betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all your sports action, whether that's NHL or NBA playoffs, MLB regular season, the final leg of the Triple Crown, or these MMA fights that are really every single weekend right now heating up and making it really the best and busiest sports time of the year. Last weekend was wild. We have tennis coming up, golf back, uh, a lot of stuff going on, guys. But I have a bet online bet of the day for you as well. It is the NBA playoffs. Of course, that is what I feel most equipped to uh, let you in on here. But bet online has Mavericks Clippers series odds already. The Mavs are plus 355. The Clippers are minus 435. Looks like a lot of action on that Clippers line. I don't know, uh, you know, what to make of this series. I think it's far from decided. It should not be that lopsided by any means. We saw Dallas push this thing to six last year. I get that the Clippers might look a little better this season, but I really don't feel like it's that extreme. And I don't know if it's crazy to say that Dallas has the best player in this entire series with Luka Doncic. I think... He is uh, proving proving himself to be that and was excellent last year in the playoffs. Definitely not a guy that I would want to bet against. Those four, 355 plus 355 odds are really, really tasty over there. So head over to Bet Online, take advantage of that, look through their NBA odds, look through their NFL odds they already have a ton of. Don't sit on the sidelines, guys. Head to the website. Again, that's betonline.ag. Download their mobile app, make an account today, and when you make your first deposit, Use the promo code LOCKED ON to get a 50% welcome bonus right to your account. Again, betonline.ag on the web or their mobile app. Make an account, put a little bit of money in there, and when you make that first deposit, use the promo code LOCKED ON to get a 50% welcome bonus straight to your BetOnline account. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Okay, Gina, uh, you can close us out here. Uh, start us off with your number two. And we'll uh, go back and forth, see if we overlap at all here. Okay, so my number two is also kind of a game-centric one. And I will say that I did not go back to the offseason. So Chris Paul, the trade for Chris Paul will not be on my list. I assume it's on your list. So we'll definitely cover that. But my number two is that overtime win against Utah in early April. Because that just Mm -hmm. was the you know, it, it, that felt like just such a big time game environment. Obviously Donovan Mitchell hits that crazy shot to force overtime. 
Um, but the way that the Suns were able to, again, kind of just grind out a win. I loved Devin Booker, um, you know, guarding, guarding Donovan Mitchell when Mikhail Bridges was in foul trouble. Uh, I remember DeAndre Ayton grabbing a bunch of key offensive rebounds and just the way he battled Rudy Gobert. There was just a lot of really good stuff in that game. And, and yes, I know they beat him again a couple weeks later, uh, a shorthanded jazz team. But so that felt, that felt the overtime game like the moment where it was like, okay, this team is one of the best teams in the West and maybe the yeah. best team in the NBA. So that, that one just really sticks out to me because of the environment, because it was just a, like a hell of a basketball game. Like both oh, teams yeah. played really well. And another so, nationally like, televised one as well. Exactly. So again, that just felt like a, a big moment for this team and, and a game that I will definitely always remember when I think back to this season. For sure. Uh, I remember just to add another kind of decoration to the picture that you painted. Uh, I remember Cam Johnson closing that game and playing overtime because of the foul trouble and Monty telling us post game that he got overruled by his assistants in that moment. He wanted to go back to McHale and, yeah. uh, and they, they said, no, you're not, you're, uh, you're going to stick with the guy who's earned it. And so that was a, that was actually a, I went out on a big limb and I was like, Cam Johnson's going to be the starter come playoff time. And unfortunately the injury and everything else for his season made that not true, but that was one of his better performances of the year, I think as well. Uh, my, my number two is actually another game um, similar to your, your thunder game uh, in terms of one that I really remember as an inflection point, which was uh, February 10th. So we're going back quite a ways um, at home against Milwaukee. So the things I remember, yeah, yeah. The things I remember about that one, well, first of all, Giannis goes for 47 and somehow the Suns still win. You'll remember Aiton defended him most of that game. And Book draws a foul on Chris Middleton and goes to the line, makes only one of two and uh, and ends up eking the Suns eke out a 125-124 win with that one free throw being the deciding bucket. But I just remember sitting in the arena, it was one of the first games when fans were back in. So that added to the, 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 the mood and the, the sort of energy of that, that moment. And I just remember, like I said, sitting there thinking while that post-game press conference was playing out, like, okay, they are for real. Like I, yep. Yep. I believed in them heading into this. They beat, you know, that Mavs game that I had where it was like, okay, they're back, they're back on track. And then this game was a couple weeks after that Mavs game. And I just remember being like, they just really did something here. You know, they survived the 50 point game basically from the MVP and lived to tell the tale. So uh, that was a huge one for me and, and book and, and Chris Paul. I think that was one of their first games where they both really jived and 58 combined points for those two guys on, on 50% plus shooting for both. So uh, just huge. And I think really kind of put them on the map this year. Yeah, I also remember Jay Crowder pulling the chair out under. Oh, under yes, yes. At the very end of that game. So that was a great moment. And no, I kind of had, I had that on, that was one of my last cuts too. And also that game is part of that big homestand. Like you mentioned, that was when fans were first allowed back in the building. So I, I think back to on Super Bowl Sunday when that game against Boston, that yep. was the first game with fans and it was all, you know, healthcare workers and first responders. And that was like a very emotional, cool thing to experience. Um, they beat Philly on that homestand. They, I think they blew out Portland, I yeah. believe. Yeah, you know, uh, the, that homestand ended poorly with the, the Nets collapse at, at mm. home, so maybe mm -hmm. not the greatest memories <laughs> there. But again, overall on that homestand, that was another one where I felt like 
okay, they're stringing together wins. They're beating good teams. This team, like you said, is, is going to be a, a real factor in the West. I don't know if I thought championship contender at that point, but that's definitely worthy of, of being on the list for sure. So you guessed correctly my number one. So I will let you give yeah. your number one first, and then we can do a little bit of uh, rehashing of the the big trade. Yeah, well, mine is just clinching the, the playoffs, like that game against the Clippers, and not just because of the magnitude of, of that moment and reaching that point um, in, in the franchise's history, but also, again, the way that that game unfolded down the stretch, you're playing a really good team. I think back to Chris Paul just absolutely working Paul George off the dribble on a couple of the, a couple of those drives to the basket. And again, just the environment, the excitement. Um, I've talked to a few people for a piece I'm working on uh, for later on this week, just about kind of being in the middle of that moment. And, you know, you, you think to back to not just players and coaches, but longtime staffers and people who work at the arena and just people in the organization and, and fans and people who have sort of suffered through a decade of, of a lot of losing, just kind of the sigh of relief of that moment and actually officially clinching a playoff berth. Um, I think that was certainly worth celebrating. And so that is uh, why it's at the top of my list. No, that's a great one. And I remember specifically a lot of, you know, we got a longer post-game session with guys that night and it was just kind of holding court, especially Booker kind of reminiscing, you know, about what it took to get to this point. And I'm sure he didn't necessarily say this, but I, I would imagine there were a lot of a lot of post-game uh, environments for him in this city where he wasn't sure it would ever happen here, right? I'm, I, I'm sure in his heart of hearts, there was some sort of, you know, not I want to trade or I'm not, I'm not even saying that. It's just like, you, you must doubt yourself at a certain point, right? Even if you have all the self-confidence in the world, it's just how, how many losses can you handle before you start to worry that, oh, maybe it's, you know, maybe this is, is really far away for me. And so for it to turn around so quickly and, and he was very open about uh, that self-confidence, but also just the pride of, of making it happen here and seeing it through and, and uh, getting to be a part of that. So uh, the post-game stuff was really special from that night as well. Yeah, I mean, you got to think 11 years ago, Devin Booker was 13 years old. Like that, That's yeah. the last time the Phoenix Suns were in the playoffs. So I, if that ever crosses being the same head, age as, as Devin Booker, Gina, I, I very much know yeah. exactly <laughs> what you are talking about. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's so it's just one of those things where it's like, yeah, I, I, I again, he's never said this outwardly but if he ever thought in his mind like man can can we get it done here can this organization get it done we certainly wouldn't blame him and so yeah the kind of him being at the center of that moment but also Monty Williams and you know Chris Paul and I, I remember campaign was on that post-game call too and again you talk about one of the best stories in the NBA just the the revival of his career and everything he's been through the last couple of years like there were so many cool like moments within that big moment and I'm sure everybody listening to this right now also has kind of their own yes. unique experience with that. And that's, that's a really cool thing. And so kind of having that collective moment of getting back to the playoffs um, and what that meant for like each individual person uh, is, is a very cool, cool sort of collective experience that we all had. Yeah. One that will be continued throughout this week and the next several while we watch what this team can do now that we're to the playoffs. I'm very excited, yeah. but uh, Chris Paul trade is, of course, my number one, and I'm sure it would have been yours if I had uh, communicated <laughs> the rules. But <laughs> thank you. I um, you. <laughs> but but 
Of course. I mean, I, I almost don't even know what there is to say, but um, just personally, the the timing of it, I had just started doing the podcast again. I was not, I guess, kind of similar to Eugene. I was not as up close and personal with the team during the bubble as I may have been previously. Just uh, stopped doing the podcast and then came back and did it solo. And so I missed the bubble, at least podcasting every day about the team. And uh, so I just started basically the first week of November and had about a week of shows before the Chris Paul news dropped on us. And so that was very memorable for me, but of course, just um, in both directions, honestly, the, the monumental nature of getting a player like that here. But also I think if we really transport ourselves back to that time as, as excited as a lot of us were to see how it would play out, there was a lot of uh, sorrow and, and sort of, um, I don't think frustration, but just, we were saying goodbye to two very important players who really did also help turn this franchise around in Rubio and Ubre, two fan favorites, two guys who, um, you know, both you and I got to cover who are very interesting people to, to be around. And so um, I remember that as well of, of like kind of saying goodbye to that. And of course it's the business of the NBA. The Suns are better for it, but in both directions, that was a very, very big uh, kind of out of nowhere thing to happen right in the early November days. Yeah, no, for sure. And like, like you, I started, um, working for the Suns uh, the first week of November. So same thing. It was like a week after that. I'm like, whoa, okay, this is going to be a very interesting season. And and yeah, I felt very similarly to you in that it's like, it's always tough when you see players that you've gotten to know or that you've enjoyed watching or that you've enjoyed interacting with go. And I, you know, I thought at the time I was like, wow, okay, Chris Paul, you know, future Hall of Famer, one of the best point guards ever. And you think, okay, he's going to make an impact on this team. But I even underestimated how much of an impact he was going to make and how good he was going to be and how much he was going to influence this team. Even though I like knew all of that was going to happen, I didn't fully realize to the extent that it was going to make a difference. So maybe that's a knock on myself and not understanding the whole Chris Paul experience and not paying much attention to what he did in OKC, which of course we all did. We all are fans of the NBA. We all know what he's done on every team he's been on, but it's just been even more impressive than I ever could have imagined. And and my expectations were high and he obliterated those expectations. So that is just, you know, all the credit to Chris Paul and also to his teammates for, you know, accepting his kind of demanding style for embracing it, for learning from him, for, um, you know, wanting to ask him questions and pick his brain. And then also just for his phenomenal play, whether it's the way he facilitates every night, whether it's the way that, you know, he takes a mid-range jumper and I'm shocked when it doesn't go in or just the way that he operates in the fourth quarter. It's all like, it's been such a treat to watch that up close this season. And it's, it's made for, for such a fun year for sure. Yeah, just sticking in that time when it first came down too, and then training camp was, as we all remember, very shortly after that. Um, But getting to hear not only some of those uh, stories from teammates that you were just referencing of the impression that he left on them so quickly. And remember, he was like not fully participating because he had just gotten into town and It was kind of like even just him standing on the sidelines, watching us and telling us what to do uh, with these very strict COVID protocols and everything else is still 
leaving a mark. And then two, to hear him uh, talk about the, the relationships that he had and for us to sort of slowly uncover, which again, you, you joined the show previous in the season to talk about all those relationships, but to really start to hear Willie Green, Jeff Bauer, Monty Williams, Devin Booker, the people and how he had come to know them prior to coming here and the way that it was this full circle moment uh, was very cool as well. Yeah, no doubt. And one other thing that I think I underestimated too was that, I mean, we all, I, I guess I, I realized or I'm like, oh, this makes sense. The fact that he was going to, um, you know, climb into the top five and the all-time assist list and he was going to pass mm-hmm. Oscar Robertson, he was going to pass Magic Johnson. But those two games, I remember when he passed Oscar Robertson and when he passed Magic, the the post-game scene which again I say scene lightly since we're all watching it through a computer screen (laughs) but how you could tell like a Devin Booker or a DeAndre Ayton like how cool they thought that was and they're like it's an honor for me to play with this guy who is an all-time great to be on the floor with him and I don't think I really fully understood or recognized how much of an impact that could make on those guys Yeah, you remember how much book smiled when we told him it was his shot that put him over magic Right, right. I mean, just little moments like that, that you're literally a part of history. And I think you could just see in their faces, like just how genuinely honored they felt to be on the floor with him. And so, no, like I said, I had high expectations. I thought it was a really, you know, smart, bold move by James Jones to make this trade for, uh, you know, a number of reasons. But again, it, it worked out and was even more impressive than I ever could have thought. So that's, yeah, it's it's been the most influential, impactful thing of the past 12 months, no doubt. Okay, quickly here, I do want to talk about it because I don't think I'll have a chance the rest of the week. And um, I personally feel like Monty Williams is the coach of the year. I think <laughs> similar to Jordan Clarkson with sixth man, or um, I guess that's actually a different example because people are trying to argue against it now. I, I don't know. It, it feels like one of these things we sort of, we, we get bored, right. As NBA followers. And it's like the obvious choice. We just kind of want to pick at it. Right. And so it's, I guess, you know, happens with every award. Jokic is getting some of that as well. Um, but I just think if you look at expectations versus reality um, and what I believe about the NBA, which is that getting from good to great is the hardest thing, whether that's a player, whether that's a team. Um, so yes, like the Knicks and their story is special, but getting from bad to average to me is not as difficult of a thing as breaking into the truly elite of the league from the middle. And so that's to me more than anything, why I give the credit to Monty is doing that and doing it so quickly and doing it with so much change and doing it this season of all years. uh, Mm -hmm. To me, it's just, it's, it's almost, it's, it, it seems obvious. And I guess everybody kind of says that when they have an opinion about an award, right? Oh, if you don't think it, you're crazy. But I really do think it, it to me, if we're being honest with ourselves, I don't think that he has that there's anyone who has a legitimate case ahead of him. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, shout out and kudos to Tom Thibodeau or a Quinn Snyder or a Nate McMillan or a Michael Malone. Like there, there are a lot of coaches who have done a great job under very strange circumstances in many cases this season. But yeah, I think, I think Monty has to be the front runner and maybe this is because we are closer to this team than any other in the league. And we kind of see the day-to-day and the more nuanced approach than, than just the, you know, tactical approach or the game day approach or the on the court product. But 
I really do think that Monty is the perfect coach for this team. And it goes back to, you know, James Jones making the difficult decision to let Igor Kokoshkov go almost two years ago, you know, to the day and find and getting, you know, persuading Monty to come here, you know, convincing him to come here because it's not just his out of timeout plays. It's not just, you know, the way he prepares a team for a game. It's not just the staff that he's hired and empowered and the people that he's, you know, surrounded himself with. But um, I, I think it's just the way he relates to players and that they, you know, have a connection with him. And he truly does care about human beings outside of the basketball court. Um, and so I think all of that is perfect for this young team that was blossoming. And so that was perfect to lay the foundation last season when they were, you know, yeah, still had to go through a lot of challenges, but then kind of ignited in the bubble. And then you add someone like Chris Paul, who has a long history with Monty, you add some veterans who are, you know, open and accepting to that type of coaching style. And it's just been a fabulous fit. And so, yeah, I mean, would, would Monty be the best fit on a different roster or on a different situation or on a different team? Like, I don't know. And, but that's true with any human being, but I feel like Monty is the perfect coach for this team. And it really dates back to his work that he did last season. And now he's, you know, carrying them and leading them to the position that they're in the playoffs. And I can't wait to see him coach in the playoffs. I can't wait to see the adjustments that the staff makes, you know, from game to game in the middle of games, like all that stuff, like that tactical stuff's going to be really fun to watch. But when you just talk about overall influence connection with players, again, it's very genuine and it's, it's, you can't fake that and you see it with the players. And so I think that is something to be applauded and is, is definitely worthy of being coach of the year. Yeah. I, I think, you know, if, if we're zooming out and treating, the whole pandemic era of the NBA as the the season we're talking about here. I think even potentially more in terms of my memory and the way that it is seared into Suns fans' minds, I think the the speech he gave in the bubble is is probably more than anything the sort of enduring thing that I think kind of defines and describes and 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 gets us into the meat of what this team is. And so uh, using that as sort of his operating philosophy of, of how he coached, I think kind of, it just puts everything into perspective and it helps you understand, I think, why it's worked. I think there's just something that really gets to another level as a coach when uh, you're, when, when your team takes on your persona, right. When it, when it kind of becomes what you are and, and that there is so many layers to that, right. The relationship with James Jones, that's gone so well. And the the relationship that he had with Chris Paul previously, and then finding that, partnership again and, and the young guys buying in of course it takes everybody but uh it, it does seem like a lot of that is traceable back to the way that Monty handles himself and what we saw come out the the kind of fieriness that 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 came out in that speech in the bubble and and so yeah like you very excited to see how it translates to the playoffs and I I think he's probably looking forward to the chance to redeem himself a little bit too because he he did not have a great go of it when he was with the Pelicans or uh I guess both times um, in New Orleans when they were not the Pelicans as well in the playoffs. And so, um, yeah, we're all, we're all looking forward to it, I think, but I didn't think you would disagree with me, Gina, that he should be coach of the year, but I did want to at least make the case because I I do think uh, it's going to be close either way. I think, like you said, there's a lot of good candidates, but uh, both of us, if we had a vote, I think people know now who we would go with. No doubt. No doubt. And like I said, that's no knock on anybody else, but I just, I think Monty's done the best job this year. 
Alrighty. You can read her at sons.com. You can follow her on Twitter at Gina Mizell. I'm sure we will have you back at some point during this uh, crazy run. We're about to embark on Gina, but thanks as always for coming on. Thanks Brendan for having me. It was fun.